was Jesus? How would you answer that question? Was He just a prophet as the Muslims claim? Was He a deluded Messianic imposter as the Jews claim? Could He have been Michael the Archangel as the Jehovah's Witnesses teach? Or could He have truly been God in the flesh as the Bible teaches? For the truth about the divinity of Jesus, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Over the past four weeks, we have been sharing with you some of the presentations that were made at our 2010 Bible Conference, whose theme was Defending the Faith. We're going to continue this week by showing you excerpts from the presentation that was made by Eric Barger, the founder and director of Take a Stand Ministries. His topic was the truth of Jesus' divinity. Now, um, you already heard a little bit of it when I was introduced, but I was a rock musician, I was a record producer, a recording engineer, a drug addict, an alcoholic, a New Ager before it's called New Age. And if God can save me, don't give up praying for anybody you're currently praying for. Because if He can get me, He can get anybody. That's me on the left in that picture up there. And my wife says affectionately, the only thing she likes about the picture on the left is I had a size 30 waist at that point in time. So I want to talk to you about Jesus, the real Jesus, versus the counterfeits. There are so many counterfeits out there. So many people are confused about this that I think we need a refresher course every once in a while about these kind of things. We want to examine the divinity of Jesus to see who He really was. Now you've heard some about that. Brother Reagan talked about it. We've heard about Jesus, of course, in each one of the, the messages so far in the conference. And there'll be more, of course, as Ron Rhodes talks about the resurrection. And I'm looking forward to that. That's something I speak about. So I'm going to be taking copious notes when, when Ron preaches back there or when he's up here preaching. I see him back there. You know, you may think that uh, everybody knows who Jesus is. You know, you live in a very, uh, a very churched area here. I, I've always called the Dallas-Fort Worth area a very religious area. You understand what I mean when I say that. 60% or so of the people in this, in this area go to church. Uh, now, in the county that my wife and I are currently living in, in Washington State, and don't be confused because we're, our ministry is headquartered in Rowlett, just a few miles from here. But we're living in Washington State to help her parents during this very trying time in their life with their health conditions. In Washington State, where I live, in Pierce County, Washington... It is the least churched county in the United States where less than 1% of the people go to church regularly. But here we have a lot of religion. Sometimes religious people are hardest to get through to. You know that, don't you? They're sometimes the hardest. And you may think that everybody around you knows who Jesus is, but I guarantee you, when I became a Christian, I had no concept that people actually read and followed the Bible, and I didn't understand anything about the Christian faith, even though I went to Sunday school as a child. And if I would have been asked the question by somebody on the street, are you a Christian? Any of the time, during the time when I was a drug addict and an alcoholic and a new ager and all that stuff, I would have said, well, sure, because I remember that time when I was in the Sunday school class in the Methodist church that my grandparents sent me to when I lived with them in West Virginia as a child. And so I had a misconception about Christianity. Believe me, a lot of people in our churches, let alone a lot of people in the street in America, do not understand who Jesus is. 
From the first century to, now, to right now, to the present, many have questioned, who was this Jesus? The Pharisees began to question and ask, who would forgive sin or have the power to do that? And, and uh, they believed that he was committing blasphemy in the things that he was saying. His disciples marveled when he calmed the waves and the storms. And they asked, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? The Pharisees indignantly badgered Jesus the night before his crucifixion. Tell us who you are, they said. And at the foot of the cross, the Roman centurion pondered, truly this was the Son of God. So a lot of people through the ages in Jesus' day and since have had wonderings about who he is and who he was. How important is the question, who is the real Jesus? It may be the most important question any of us could ever ask. So many people are interested in forms of religion. But if you don't have the identity of Jesus right, you will lose your soul for all eternity. And I may repeat that in a minute, but it's really something you need to hear. The identity and the deity of Jesus Christ and who you believe he is determines your eternity. What could be more important than that? So many very sincere people have some sort of Jesus or one of the many counterfeits, but not the real thing and are lost in the process. You know, it's in the scripture. Paul warned the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit whom ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. In other words, you might put up with it. You might not know the difference because he was talking to the, the gullible Corinthians that, that, of course, were one of his most troublesome churches. And so a different Jesus, a different gospel, and a different spirit is possible. And I believe if we are truly in the end of the end times, how many believe that's where we are? Say amen. amen. Yes, we are. If we're there, there's going to be a proliferation of error. And it's going to be foisted, of course, toward the church as well. I mean, the devil's not going to leave the church alone. He wants to trip us up. He doesn't want us to have the victory. And he certainly doesn't want us to preach the victory to the lost around us. He doesn't want us to have the right conception of who God is, of who Jesus is. Jude's letter is a distress call. A distress call against false teaching. Jude was going to write something completely different, but instead he stops and the whole tenor of the letter is warning the church about false teaching. He was going to write about the great salvation we all enjoy, but instead he turned toward his concern for false teaching. Paul, in his letters to Titus and Timothy, warn about false teaching and several other places. And Jesus warns us an astounding 14 times in the four Gospels about false teaching and false teachers. This is an integral part of the scripture and cannot be ignored even though so many people in the feel good, what I call the here and now church that we see all around us. They're only interested in the here and now and not about eternity. So many people in the feel good church refuse to talk about this. So many pastors won't pick it up and talk about it because they think it's a negative. No, this is part of the message that we've got to be true to. And we're warned again and again, if we are in that time, the end of the end, the end of the end days, then we've, we certainly have to know about these things. Matthew 24, Jesus warns us in this great end times teaching. He warns us about false Christ and false teachers that were coming. He's very explicit about it. And understand, understand just because the word Jesus is being used, it may not be the real Jesus. 
Just because a sports star can spell Jesus doesn't mean he's talking about the one who died on the cross. Let's be careful. We don't make theologians out of people who are not fit. 2 Corinthians 11 comes alive to me more and more each and every day of my life. So, let's examine the Jesus of the cults quickly, and then we're going to move on to who the real one is, of course, at the end of this. You are watching Christ in Prophecy. You are watching Eric Barger, founder and director of Take a Stand Ministries. He is speaking on the truth of Jesus' divinity. Following the introduction you just watched, Eric started revealing the false conceptions of Jesus that characterize the cults. Here is what he had to say about the Jesus of Mormonism. And for a second, because Mormonism is so big in our cities, in our community, and here in America, I want to talk about the Mormon Jesus. Because this may be the single most confusing version of Jesus that you and I will be faced with and have to make a delineation about. Joseph Smith said, God himself was once as we are now an exalted man. And of course, the other part of that is, we will become as God is now a God. That's called the law of eternal progression. That is the capstone of Mormonism. The idea that man becomes God and that God started out as a man. Joseph Smith said in his book, The Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, you have got to learn how to be gods yourself, to be kings and priests to God, the same as all gods have done before you. Brigham Young, the second prophet of the Mormon church, said, when the Virgin Mary conceived the child Jesus, the father had begotten him in his own likeness, he was not begotten by the Holy Ghost. Mormonism teaches that God as Elohim physically had sex and impregnated Mary. Mormons claim that God himself has a body because the scriptures speak of the lips and hands and eyes and ears of God. You know, now this is the infinite God of the universe trying to speak to us with our little pea brains about who he is. He's trying to communicate to us in such a way that we will understand. And so he uses the same kind of things that we would understand, eyes and lips and hands and feet. John 4, chapter 4, Jesus says, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, I love it when the Mormon missionaries come to my door. And I usually, you know, when we get into this conversation, I ask them, do you really believe that God was a man like me and you will become a God like him? And, you know, they always say yes. These are usually 19 and 20-year-old kids that have elder buttons on. You know, they claim to be elders in the Mormon church. But they're on their two-year mandatory mission out there preaching because they believe if they don't go out and do it, that they won't get into the, the you know, the uh, place in heaven that they want to get into. They might not make it at all unless they're true to all the works of Mormonism. Because as Dr. Reagan said today, it is a treadmill in some of the cults and other world religions. They get on a treadmill of works. And so when I'm talking to them, you really believe that, that, that God has all these things, eyes and ears and so on? Oh, yes, it says in the Scripture, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, beholding the evil and the good. And I say, yes, it does say that. But does that mean that he's actually got an eye looking? No, he knows everything. And, you know, he understands. He's the omniscient one. He's the omnipresent one. He understands those things. He lives in a different dimension. Oh, no, no, we're sure that God has a, a physical body. And I'll say, okay, turn with me to Psalm 91. And they'll be flipping through their Bible. I'll say, just read it out loud. 
I watched a poor kid just melt on my front porch a couple years ago when I had him do this. And, you know, I never, I never want to get a cultist to the place where I'm grinding them into the dirt. I want to leave their humanity intact. I let them know I understand. They're searching for God, too. But if they've got the wrong Jesus, oh, how wrong and how terrible it will be. And so I care enough about him to tell him the truth. But I had this young man open his Bible to Psalm 91. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. So I asked to see their wings, these Mormon missionaries. They got the picture. They got the picture right away. You know, that may be an avenue for you to be able to witness to those kids when they come to your door next time. Amen? Write that one down. Well, the Mormon Jesus is a spirit brother of Lucifer. I didn't say that. They said it. Because in Milton R. Hunter's book, and he is one of the Mormon authorities through, through of Mormonism throughout time, it says the appointment of Jesus to be the Savior of the world was contested by one of the other sons of God. He was called Lucifer, son of the morning, haughty, ambitious, and covetous for power and glory. This spirit brother of Jesus desperately tried to become the Savior of mankind. Evidently, there was a council of the gods, and Lucifer wanted to be the Savior of the earth, and they picked Jesus instead, and Lucifer rebelled, and he was cast out. And that's the story about Lucifer and Jesus being spirit brothers. Well, the now-deceased ex-president of the Mormon church, Gordon B. Hinckley, agrees with me on this. Isn't that interesting? Because speaking to a gathering of 6,600 Mormon missionaries in Paris, the LDS Church News Archives reported on Saturday, June 20th, 1998, that Hinckley does not believe in the traditional biblical Christ. Hinckley, uh, it says here in bearing testimony of Jesus Christ, President Hinckley spoke of those outside the church who say Latter-day Saints do not believe in the traditional Christ. He said, this is him, no, I don't. The traditional Christ of whom they speak is not the Christ of whom I speak. Because he believes, and it says, goes on to say here, that he believes that the Mormon church has revealed Jesus in a way to the world that no one has ever seen before. And they're the only true church for this dispensation in time. You are watching Christ in Prophecy. Who's the real Jesus? Amen? Who is the real Jesus? That's what I want to talk about. Because we have the testimony of the Word of God about who Jesus is. And I want to tell you, I was so excited this morning when I heard Brother Martin because he used the exact three scriptures I'm going to use right now in the same order this morning. And I've never, I I said hello to him. So we didn't plan this. That was it. And I sat back there this morning and saw this, and I whispered to a friend of mine who's here. I said, this is incredible, because this afternoon, these same three scriptures are going to come out. You see, through all the misconceptions and misrepresentations, we are accountable to what the Bible says and nothing else when it comes to who Jesus is. So we come back and we test everything by the scriptures, because he is the creator John 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not in other words the world did not receive him he is the creator the word came the logos came He was the Word. 
He was the creator. He was God. And John 1.14 tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And now Colossians chapter 1 says, Who is the, invisible, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created. Notice the theme here. Jesus is the creator. By him all things are created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. In other words, if he didn't exist, we couldn't. That's what the scripture is teaching here. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And in Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. In other words, to the Jewish fathers, to the early Jews, he spoke by the prophets. Hath in this day, in the last days, spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Again, Jesus is portrayed as the creator who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Praise God. There are seven magnificent revelations about Jesus that we see here in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He is the heir of all things. He created the universe. He radiates God's glory. He is the perfect and complete representation of God. Without him, nothing could exist. And he provides the only possible freedom from sin. That's the message of just those two verses. Is it any wonder to us here who have studied the Bible very long that the Bible is so rich that we'll never really get it all? We just keep wanting to put more of it in. Give me more, Jesus. Give me more time to spend in your word that we'll know what the truth is. Amen that will have it in our hearts, that will share it with mankind. Then we have the testimony of the miracles of Jesus. I won't even begin to go through them all because there's so many from the healing of the blind to the healing of the lepers to the raising of the dead. Think about that. Over and over we see Jesus proving who he is by the miracles. We have the testimony of that. We have the testimony of Peter and Thomas, two of those who followed him. Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if Jesus wasn't God incarnate, he would have said, Peter, don't you ever say that to me again. But instead he received that because it was accurate what Peter said. And then there's Thomas. He was doubting, of course, you know the story. And Jesus appeared after the resurrection and says, you see, it is me. Reach your finger here in my hands and touch and see. I'm here physically. You know, these, uh, these heretics say that uh, Jesus rose from the grave spiritually. No, he rose physically, bodily from the grave, folks, not just spiritually. And Jesus said, handle me, touch me, touch my side. See, it's me. And Thomas fell to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. He called him my Theos and my Kyrios. Theos is the word for God. You know, that's where we get our word theology. My Godology, that's my theology. Right? And he called him my Lord and my God. And Jesus received that worship and didn't rebuke Thomas. He called him my Lord and my God, and he was accurate in doing so. Then there's a testimony of Jesus himself, and there's many places we could turn. I'll just show you two of them. Here in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the only gate, no matter what other religion might say they have the path. He is the only way. John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
And I give them unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which give them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, Jesus is talking to his favorite Pharisees right here. Yeah, and they didn't like what he had to say, so they picked up stones and they're going to stone him. Because he, a mere man, claimed to be God, equating himself with the Father. I and my Father are one, shows us that Jesus indeed declared his deity. The Jews wanted to stone him. They understood that he was declaring himself to be the Messiah equal with God. And then Jesus confounds them because he says to them, doesn't it say that ye are all gods? And you know, these were supposed to be the keepers of the truth. This is one of my most favorite passages in the New Testament where Jesus confounds the keepers of the law with the word of God. And they were supposed to know what it said. And they said, he said to them, doesn't it say you're all gods? And you can almost imagine these guys as they dropped their rocks and looked at each other and said, yeah, I think it's in there somewhere. I've seen that before. And then Jesus, of course, is... is quoting Psalm 82 here. You know, Psalm 82 says, I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Well, the Pharisees didn't know the word of God enough to know what the next verse said. Because the next part of the passage says, but ye shall die like men. It's mocking Godhood for mankind. But Jesus uses that against them. They drop their rocks and he walks away. It is such a powerful passage, the way Jesus confounds them apologetically. They were referred to as gods because of their ability to enforce the law over mankind. But they were really ignorant of God's word. And there's a, there's a penalty to be paid when you're a, only a pretender. There's a penalty. And the Pharisees paid it. A heavy price is paid for not knowing the word of God. This is one of my favorite passages to show Jehovah's Witnesses when they show up at my door. You might want to take note of that. Here in Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Perfectly translated, Lord God Almighty. This is talking about God the Father. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. God the Father. Verse 17 and 18 says, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Same language right here. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of hell and death. Hmm. I always ask the Jehovah's Witness, uh, excuse me, when did God die? But it says he's the first and the last, just like it said a few verses earlier, he's the Alpha and the Omega. There's something going on here. So I take them, rather than skipping all over the Bible to prove this, I take them keeping in the book of Revelation to chapter 22. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Exactly what we read in in chapter 1, right? Blessed are they that do my commandments. And then it says, for outside or left out of the kingdom are the dogs, the sorcerers, the soothsayers, the adulterers, and those who practice uh, iniquity, right? They're the people left out, about ready to be cast into the lake of fire. So, in the first chapter, it talks of the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In the 22nd chapter, it talks of the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then we find out who's talking in this last chapter. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify of these things. And at this point, usually, the Jehovah's Witnesses' eyes are bugging out. 
And I'll say, okay, either there are two firsts and two lasts, or Jesus and the Father are one. I've had Jehovah's Witnesses literally run away from my door. I am not kidding you. When I lived in East Dallas, I was about ready to do a radio interview one afternoon. I had 15 minutes to go before I was going to do a phone interview. And two Jehovah's Witness gals came to the front door and I peered out through the peephole. I had shorts on, a t-shirt, and a baseball cap, but I was still going to talk to them. So I opened the door and I said, I only have a few minutes, but I'd like to talk to you. And they said, we're Bible students. We'd love to talk to you too. And I said, good, I've been waiting for you. (laughs) So we began to talk and I, I said, you know, I understand what you teach. They didn't think I did, but I said, I understand what you teach. And can I show you something? You know, you kind of want to take control of the situation rather than let them lead. And so uh, I took them to Revelation chapter 1, and we read that. And then I took them to Revelation 22, and we read that. And they always send a more experienced JW out with a rookie. Well, the more experienced gal got the other gal by the hand and said, we can see we're not getting anywhere with this. And she's backing away from my door with this gal by the hand. And I said, no, hang on. There's more to this. I want to show you this. I said, you see, Jesus is speaking here. He calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, just like God the Father does in the first passage. She's backing away. Finally, they turn around and they're walking fast. And I'm walking out my door going, wait, wait, don't leave now, you know. (laughs) And it was kind of funny to watch these two ladies trot to the parking lot. Because that more experienced JW did not want the other gal to hear. That was what was sad. But that's exactly what happens. Then, you know, we have fulfilled prophecy. You know, Jesus perfectly fulfilled what it says about the Messiah. We have 324 prophecies about the Messiah in the Bible. Over 200 of them have been fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. He perfectly met the qualifications of the Messiah. The resurrection being, to me, the number one thing. I mean, he could have done all the rest if he didn't raise in the grave. He wasn't the Messiah, and we're still lost. We better find the nearest Jewish synagogue immediately. Amen. But he did raise from the grave. Over 200 prophecies already fulfilled. He is the creator. He is the savior, the deliverer, the master. He is the healer, the provider. He is righteous. He is holy. He is worthy. He is friend. He is judge. He is king. And he is God. This is exactly who he is. God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God. You have been watching excerpts from a presentation about the divinity of Jesus that was made at our 2010 Bible Conference. In just a moment, we'll tell you how you can get a copy of the full presentation together with five others that were made by additional speakers at the conference. Next week, the Lord willing, we will continue showing you excerpts from the conference. Our featured speaker will be Ron Rhodes, and his topic will be The Truth of the Resurrection. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. The presentation you have just viewed was made at the June 2010 Lamb and Lion Bible Conference and is included in an album entitled Defending the Faith. The album contains six sermons on three DVDs and it can be yours for a gift of $25 or more plus shipping. Purchase this album if you want to learn how to defend your faith in the Christian worldview, the Bible, creation, 
Jesus' divinity, the virgin birth, and the resurrection. What will happen when you die? This monumental question is answered by Dr. David Reagan's book titled Eternity, Heaven or Hell. Many other questions concerning the afterlife are answered in this easy-to-understand book based upon the clear teachings of the Bible. Can you be certain of life after death? Will you face a judgment before God? Can salvation be lost? Order the book Eternity for a gift of $15 or more plus shipping or get the book and the conference album for a gift of $35 or more plus shipping. That's a $5 savings. Just call the number you see on the screen and ask for the album, the Eternity book, or both. Call Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 Central Time, or order online at landlion.com. Christ in Prophecy is made possible through the faithful and generous support of viewers like you. Please consider making a donation to Lamb and Lion Ministries so that we can continue broadcasting the message of Jesus' soon return. Thank you, and God bless you. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 